I'm going to say something very, very serious here, and I am not joking. Nothing fuels me like this stuff. Nothing makes life worth living like an Addison Ray acting debut Netflix movie teen rom-com remake. There is no sarcasm here. Genuinely nothing keeps me going like the silliness of stuff like this. All the seriousness of life, work, university, family arrangements, trying to find time to see friends when literally nobody's schedule lines up because you're all adults now with too many commitments, is getting me down. And then, something like this comes along. And it's like, no. Life is still stupid. Life is still so, so dumb. Life is still TikTok influencer Addison Rae acting debut, where the characters have names like Aniston and Alden and Bryn and Quinn, all real and separate characters, and Kourtney Kardashian might actually be one of the more decent actors in the movie. To most people, this movie is nothing. A laughingstock. Something to tweet about. To me, this movie is sustenance. This is my nutrition. This is my caffeine. I needed this to go to work tonight, and tomorrow, and the next day, and so on. I need this so I don't die of boredom waitressing for eight hours. I need this to remember life is not that serious so I don't cry. If Addison Ray is in movies, then what does it matter? I need silly. I need stupid. I need it. Letterboxed reviewer, Issy. Roll the music. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. What a cold opening. Eat your heart out, Kate McKinnon, singing Hallelujah. It was either going to be reading that review in a dramatic tone or la 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 la. I'm sure you're going to do that throughout the whole episode anyway. Well, it's currently just rattling in the back of my brain like a hamster wheel. So that's my internal monologue for this whole episode. Yeah. uh, uh, Prom party. Listeners, thank you. Welcome to our He's All That episode. We just finished rewatching He's All That. BJ, uh, how many times in the last eight days have you seen this movie? This is my third watch. You're welcome. Yes. So um, I I was like, I think I forgot a few things in the last week before we sat down to record. I need to go ahead and refresh myself just a little bit. And we are just diving back in. There was like a five minute down period between watching it again and recording. We fully intended to record this episode a little bit later in the day because it's hot as shit today. Oh yeah, yesterday was 104 degrees. It's probably going to be like that again today. Yeah, but the the energy after seeing this for the third time, I've been kind of running around our entire apartment screaming thoughts randomly. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, no, we need to sit down and record this so I can bottle this energy or else it's going to go away. We need to capture this moment before the sun <laughs> beats it out of us. Yeah, for real, for real. So anyway, hi, Prom Party. Welcome to the episode. We yeah. are talking about He's All That from 2021. And I am so excited to talk about it. Remember when we scheduled this like six months ago? And it's like, oh, it's coming out. It's going to be funny. We're going to have such a fun time just shitting on this movie. And it's like, okay, but wait. But wait, I have a lot of things to talk about but and a wait. lot of things to say. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is going to be an easy slam dunk after like some high pressure episodes like Princess Diaries and Mean Girls, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of like cultural weight to those. And it's like, oh, geez. Now, oh, crap. I, am I, uh, we're about to defend this movie, aren't we? Uh, a little bit. Uh, no. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of things to to criticize. And guess what? You can read literally every review of this movie if that's what you're interested in. We'll do both. That's that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to bring some fun and enjoyment. And you know what? He's all that. This is this is the type of movie that in 20 years there's gonna be the 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 junior plastics version of this ends at prom, and they're going to defend the shit out of this movie. So we're getting it on the ground floor, and we're doing it now. Yeah. 
<laughs> so for those that do not know, uh, He's All That is a movie that was released this year on Netflix. It does not have a synopsis from our friend Dango because it is so new. So we're going to use the IMDb description. A teenage girl sets out to give a nebbish classmate the ultimate high school makeover, an updated remake of the 1999 film She's All That. The ultimate makeover involves cutting his hair and trimming his very, very light facial hair. You are correct. And we're just, we're going to dive right in right off of that. A criticism that I keep seeing people make about He's All That is that the actor who plays Cameron, Tanner Buchanan, who a lot of people would know from Cobra Kai, they're like, he's too pretty. He's too pretty. I don't believe this guy would need a makeover. Like, he's too hot. Blah, 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 blah. Guess what? The whole point of Lainey Boggs being the quote-unquote loser in She's All That was not that she was ugly. It's that she was unapproachable. It's Mm -hmm. that she was the art freak who was really isolated and didn't have a lot of friends. That's what was going to make it difficult to make her the prom queen. Because again, the whole bet is about making them like the prom king or the prom queen. You have to be popular to do that. And it is way easier to be popular and ugly than it is to be unapproachable to be popular. So... The fact that they're doing this makeover on Tanner is not about making him over to make him like, oh, surprise, he's actually hot. It's to make him approachable mm-hmm. and to make him somebody that people can get along with. So already people who are making that criticism, you fundamentally don't understand she's all that because it was never about Lainey Boggs, a ponytail. That's not another teen movie. You're getting your IP mixed up. Yeah, it's really just taking the mean-spirited retcon of not another teen movie and then applying it to this movie. Yes, which... yes, yes, yes. I, I can't say that I can't separate, like, the scary movies from the screen movies in some cases, so I understand what that's like, though I do love that Cameron's styling is basically just Stuart from Letterkenny yeah. during that season where he wore a beanie, and then also, like, oh, yeah, he took his shirt off, and now he's ripped. Well, Surprise. That's the, <laughs> that's the other thing is, obviously, if you watch Cobra Kai, you know that Tanner Buchanan is a legitimate martial artist, so obviously he is in top physical performance but when you have that when you have that reveal and he takes his shirt off and he has 75 abs it does kind of like knock the wind out of you for a second even if you're not somebody who's super into muscles it's just like whoa that is a physical specimen i was not anticipating you were expecting him to just be like a skinny little art dork and it's like oh he's cut because he's actually like ripped to shreds he's a kung fu cowboy because he's goddamn billy jack over here he really is So yeah, so that's a criticism that people keep making and I call bullshit on it first off. And then I'm also going to call bullshit on this IMDb thing saying like, oh, it's an updated remake of She's All That. Here's the thing. Technically, yes, it's got the same writer as She's All That. Rachel Lee Cook and Matthew Lillard have cameos. It's about a popular person giving a makeover to an unpopular person as a bet in order to make them the prom king or queen. On a fundamental level, of course, these movies are related. And of course, this is considered a remake. But that's not the point of this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not a movie that was like when John Carpenter watched The Thing from Outer Space and went, you know what? I'm going to remake this. And I'm going to make it better. And I'm going to make it different. Or when Cronenberg was like, you know what? The Fly, that was a really influential movie on me when I was a kid. I want to update it for a new audience. And I want to make it grosser and more ridiculous. And I'm going to really put my mark on it. Literally no one was doing that when they were coming to terms with how they were going to make He's All That. He's All That is taking an existing IP that is beloved, that is popular, that has great name recognition, and making a movie for a brand new generation that honestly does not give a flying fuck about She's All That, has no connection to it, no relationship, doesn't care. This is a movie that says, how can we get Addison Ray, the biggest star on TikTok, a vehicle to turn her into a crossover artist? What can we do? Here we go. A very well-known IP, because even if you haven't seen She's All That, you know what it's about, because it is part of the cultural consciousness. It is one of the smartest marketing moves I've ever seen. Period. And the problem is, this movie keeps getting compared to the original, and that is not what, it's not trying to capture that audience. It's not trying to capture that appeal. It's not trying to capture that energy at all. Like, 
these movies are barely related in terms of the, 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 the themes, in terms of the characterizations, in terms of the heart barely really a whisper of relation there's just enough stuff sprinkled in there because they knew obviously our old asses were gonna watch it to see what was gonna be in it so we get our sixpence none the richer we get our matthew lillards we get all of those things this movie's not for us it's for us if we watch it three times it's fucking for me because i've watched it three times and th- it will not be the last time i watch it i tell you that I'm much sure it won't so I do love that of the movies we've been comparing this to, we're not comparing it to She's All That. We're comparing it to David Cronenberg's The Fly and <laughs> Billy Jack. <laughs> so if I can make one other like somewhat obtuse comparison, you know what this movie is for me? What's that? This is Cats for TikTok 12-year-olds. It- Absolutely is. And you know what? We are people who saw Cats opening weekend, the same weekend that we watched Star Wars. And guess which movie we had a better time in the theater watching? It wasn't fucking space opera, I'll tell you that. We, oh my God, you're probably going to break the microphone. This is going to be clear. I'm so, so bad. sorry. I'm, I have so much energy right pull, now. Pull your mouth back a little bit when you scream. Bit. I'm so sorry. So we saw Cats on the Thursday it opened. We were in a not we were in a near empty theater with maybe five old people, all of which were at least in their sixties, and we saw this before Star Wars because I was I'm, I'm I have a hard time being excited about Star Wars anymore and had a harder time being excited about Star Wars after we saw it later that weekend. But God damn it, if you explaining cats to me while I was being bombarded with the everything that is cats. Was mm-hmm. not one of my favorite movie going experiences. You're welcome. Yeah, um, I'm not going to say I enjoyed this as much as Cats, but it's the same kind of hot mess. And people that worked on it did the best they could with what they've got. And in the case of this movie, even more so, everyone did exactly what they were asked of. 100% that. So I'm so glad you brought that up because a point that I was making as I was running around and ranting in the house. Is that you were pacing? I was. Pa- I have so much. Just like ah, there's so much fire in me right now. <laughs> um, but <laughs> the cinematographer for this movie, uh, John Gulserian, I absolutely butcher that last name. I apologize to you, John. But he also just shot Candyman, like Nia DaCosta's Candyman, or for those that didn't know, and you think it's Jordan Peele's Candyman, it's Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Candyman is one of the most beautiful films I have seen this year. The Mm -hmm. cinematography is stunning. The mirror work, incredible. The reflection work, out of this world. The way that the camera twists and turns and change perspectives, unbelievable. An absolute masterclass in cinematography. He's All That looks like a film that was meant to be watched in portrait mode on your phone. Obviously, it's not shot that way, literally. I'm just saying in terms of the way things are framed, the way things are lit, it looks like an influencer movie. And that's exactly what it's supposed to look like. So all these people were like, I can't believe this is the same cinematographer. Like, oh, he clearly checked out. Oh, who pissed him off? This is like his revenge. No, no, no. This is a sign of a brilliant cinematographer because he knew what this movie needed. This movie didn't need twist and turn and ridiculously artistic camera angles like in Candyman. Candyman needs that. I've said that name so many times. So if all of you are now getting haunted, my bad. He's all that looks exactly the way it should. There are moments when characters are like, we can't leave. There's free Pizza Hut. And the camera expertly lands on the shot of the influencer Pizza Hut, and it looks like a commercial. He knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what this movie needed, and he fucking delivered. Basically, it's the nature of the beast. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but for me, the beast doesn't include selling out. Garth, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. I think my favorite shots are wet, like the car wash scene where it keeps cutting back to people's tight faces and they just zoom in slowly as it rapidly cuts from character to character. And that's the thing, is like they're building tension. And do you is know that, how- Is that really what it's doing? That's what they're trying to do. They're trying uh... to build tension. But do you know where that comes from? Vine and TikTok. 
That is how people do like comedic dramatic tension is they slowly zoom in on their own faces. Like this movie is so brilliant in everything that it's doing. And I think it went over the heads of everyone who watched it. And I'll be honest, it went over my head the first time. I was like, okay, I kind of see what they're doing. There's moments I like, but meh. And then the second time we watched it, I was like, no, I'm, I'm really getting more into this. I think I... I enjoy this. This is fun. This is like lifetime movie level of something that I like to enjoy. But now on this third watch, I'm like, no, this is a masterpiece. This knew exactly what it needed to be. And I will never shit on a movie that is doing exactly what it intended to do. Mm -hmm. This movie succeeded in everything that it was going for. And it's amazing for it. I love a film that is completely in control of its own destiny and its yes. autonomy. Yes. I can't say that in preparation for recording an episode, I watched Rock and Roll High School, another film completely in control of what it's trying to do. Mm -hmm. I should have, but I didn't. I think this is the first time we've watched a movie more than once in preparation for an episode in such a tight window. Yeah, because we, we needed to really give it that fair shake. And of course... There are obviously things that can absolutely be criticized about this movie. The one that really sticks out for me is when they're discussing Cameron's uh, movie tastes and they say Kung Fu, Kurosawa, and Kubrick and Addison Rae's responses. That's a lot of K's. Real uncomfortable in a movie about a lot of rich white people making that joke. That's not cool. Yeah, let's talk about the economic stuff a little bit later. Yeah, we will. I really want to dive into that because that's... Ugh. Yeah, we will. Ugh. Like, there's obviously things to criticize for sure. But again... Read the reviews of it. They already did that. They did their time. They got paid to do that. That's an easy conversation to have. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to bring the other side of the conversation that no one is having about this movie. I mean, that's what we try to do with every episode. Well, right? yeah, that when is we what criticize we everyone's favorites and they go, oh, I can't believe you didn't like that as much as I do. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, and here's the thing. I'm not expecting people to listen to this podcast and be like, actually, he's all that with Addison Ray is a gift to the gods. Like, I'm not expecting that out of anybody. I'm just bringing the perspective that there are a lot of things to like about this movie. And there are a lot of things successful about this movie. And it's okay to highlight them. Mm -hmm. A term that I see get thrown around pretty casually on a particularly gay film Twitter. Mm-hmm is uh, people defending their favorite movies by going, okay, but it's camp. And oftentimes the movie they're defending isn't camp, it's just bad. And so BJ, like, a question about camp. Where, do you, where, where, where exactly is the divide between something that is a bad movie but accidentally is camp versus something that is actively camp versus this weird mid-gray area that I think this movie sits? This movie falls into the same line of thinking as David Lee Roth, this is straight camp. Oh, how dare you compare this to Dave? I'm sorry, it is. This is straight camp. It's it's lavish for the sake of being lavish. It's uh, white people problems that aren't actually problems in the grand scheme of the universe. Like, there's random cameos, some of which make sense, some of which are very questionable, but at the same time, like, it makes sense. Like, people keep crapping all over the fact that Kourtney Kardashian is in this movie, and they're like, oh my god, she's a terrible actor, she's awful. What, what did you expect from that character? She's exactly who she's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is making phone calls on their Peloton and being like, you're going viral, in a bad way. Like... Did you want her to be Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada? No, that's not who that person is anymore. That's who the people who run these types of companies are because they literally are the Kardashians. No one believes in you more than me, girl. Bye. It's it's amazing. Like it is such unintentional brilliance that I like want to scream. I I had to ask you when we watched when I watched the first time. This was that was your second time. I had to ask you Okay, is this actually a Kardashian or is this just, you know, the influence of the Kardashian making everyone look like Kardashians because that's the kind of work everyone's getting? And you go, oh, no, that's a Kardashian. I go, okay, which one? <laughs> yeah, Harmony doesn't know much about the Kardashians. I was like, that's Courtney. If I'm going to have a favorite Kardashian, she is my favorite because she has my favorite lines like, Kim, people are dying. Uh, brilliant. So funny. But uh, yeah, Kourtney Kardashian's casting in this, I think, is very inspired and very funny. Um, and a lot of people, I think, just want to hate the Kardashians. And again, there are plenty of 
very valid criticisms to be made about how they have changed our culture. Mm -hmm. But in the vacuum of this movie, it is very inspired casting and very funny. Like when, when Addison Ray says like, okay, yeah, it's unfortunate or whatever. And her response is while still on the Peloton, my husband's hiking accident was unfortunate and he got attacked by a bear. It is so funny to me. Mm-hmm. It, how else are you supposed to deliver that line if you are that character? If you are somebody whose entire existence is based around making products for influencers to market on your behalf? Like, I don't, I don't know what people expected from that character. I, <laughs> Why are people so mean? It's perfect casting. It, it's, it is. Um, but speaking of line reads, there's one that I picked up on this, this watch that is probably not how the line was supposed to be read, but it definitely changes the context of the words. Where uh, after the the Bubble Girl incident, where Paget has a freak out uh, alive on probably Instagram, I would assume Instagram Live. It's Instagram Live or TikTok Live. Yeah, whatever. You can and do both. She got a big gross snot bubble, and everyone's like, "Haha, Bubble Girl!" Which we will get to the weird backlash and how it's not believable. This movie a little bit later, but mm-hmm. the line that I want to go with that will lead into us talking about the character of Paget is she's talking with her friends at lunch like the next day, and they're laying down the groundwork for placing the bet. Mm -hmm. And she says, makeovers are my thing. And I'm pretty sure that that's supposed to be like a confident thing. I was like, oh, makeovers are my thing. Like, Mm I got this. But instead it's like, no, makeovers are mine is how it sounds. (laughs) No one can do a makeover. I invented the makeover. I'm like the Fine Brothers inventing reactions. (laughs) Copyright. (laughs) And like... I think that that's a good enough point for us to segue into talking about Paget because you opened this movie up by saying, hey, I'm not sure how you're going to feel about this character. You might hate her. Because I know how you feel about characters at this point. I hate how much I don't hate Paget. Like, I know that fundamentally I should really dislike this character, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't dislike her. Um there there are things about Addison Ray's performance that I, I wish that somebody would have, like, helped her through. Uh, I read some interviews. I know Mark Waters, who directed this, who also directed Freaky Friday and Mean Girls, my friends, you know, saw her on TikTok and was like, we're going to give her an eight-day crash course in, like, Meisner technique. That is not going to make somebody a better actor. That's not how that works. And I understand that they were trying to, you know, pluck somebody from influencer side, from social media, and turn them into an actor. And that is very hard to do. She's really trying. Like, she's genuinely trying. And you can see her trying. And Addison Rae as a person, I mean, obviously, the, the backlash with the stuff on Jimmy Fallon where she brought TikTok dances that she did not invent to Jimmy Fallon and Mm -hmm. performed them. And again, like she has kind of stolen a lot of stuff from black creators and not given them credit. Yeah, that's a big issue and that needs to be acknowledged. But in terms of, again, her in a vacuum in this movie, she's everything this character is supposed to be. Isn't she the most popular TikToker, like period? As far as creator, I think she might be outranked now in terms of like follower count but she makes the most money without oh, okay. a doubt. That's where she that's where she shines. Is she makes the most money between like brand deals and, you know, whatever else. There's a dancer who's a little bit higher than her and then there's the guy who uh makes videos reacting to like stupid life hacks that actually make lives h- harder mm-hmm. and just kind of like shrugs. He's the number one most followed person now. But okay. he's not getting brand deals or things like Addison is. No. Okay, gotcha. Well, that's that's how brands work. Mm-hmm. That's her brand. Now brands can identify with her brand. and Exactly. I understand how all this works with influencer culture and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't hate her in this movie. I think she is not an actor, and it's obvious. I think that she is at her strongest when she's in her wheelhouse. Like, when she's doing stuff with a phone. Or when she's doing like the TikTok dance choreography at at the obligatory prom dance off, mm-hmm. those seem the place that those seem like the places where she's most comfortable because it's the least like acting out of character for her normal stuff. Correct. That said, her smile pains me. There is a, a sense during some of these scenes where the idea of being an influencer and somebody whose life is like perfectly curated for public consumption, Mm -hmm. I don't know if she knows how to turn some of that off. Like Mm -hmm. there are moments where I'm watching her and I'm like, okay, you are really trying to bring vulnerability. 
I just genuinely think that somebody as known and as viewed as Addison Ray, I think she struggles to turn that part of her off. Because mm-hmm. even the moments where, I mean, she she has her big speech at the end of prom where it's like, and this is also me. And it's like her, you know, looking kind of disheveled in the morning. Those are still like meticulously placed in order to like look kind of gross or to to look relatable. Like that is also part of influencer culture is being able to make your own vulnerability. I mean, they specifically made her not a blonde in this movie mm-hmm. because it makes her more relatable because, you know, the coding of blonde is always very different than a brunette. Correct. And honestly, I think she looks better as a blonde because I have no investment in her before this movie other than, oh, you're the chick from Jimmy Fallon. I saw everyone doing side-by-sides with your dance moves and they were very stiff. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I feel like when I see her smile, like I'm also a person who when they are uncomfortable, I um maybe I'm almost psychotic as like a, my body having a defense mechanism where... I smile when I'm my most upset mm-hmm. and I probably look insane mm-hmm. and terrifying. And there's definitely like moments where she's really upset and she's got this very toothy, very um, like dentist bus bench ad where her teeth mm-hmm. ju- are just there. They're mm-hmm. just on maximum display. And it's like, I do you, I, you don't look like you have a central nervous system. Mm-hmm. You look, this looks like you're pained smiling and it pains me. And I don't think that's the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that goes on to that, like, having to always be on. And there's plenty to be said about, you know, oh, if you're an influencer or if you're, like, a social media person, like, you kind of brought this on yourself. Like, you made yourself your brand. Mm. I, It gets really complicated to me. I think that that's, like, super unfair. And I especially think in a world of, like, a free Britney where we recognize – the relationship and participation we have to the breakdown of that woman um, without it being deserved. And yet we don't extend that same empathy and understanding to influencers or, you know, to some extent, even the Kardashians. Like there's plenty, plenty, plenty to make valid criticism about. Mm -hmm. Do I think that someone like Addison Rae needs to be meticulously examined at every moment of her existence? No, I think that's so unfair. And the amount of people that are like, yeah, well, she's an influencer and that's kind of her deal. So it's fair game. No, it's not fair. She's still a fucking person. Mm -hmm. Like she can be somebody who is young and make mistakes for sure. And again, I'm not defending her. This is not like an Addison Rae stand defense or anything like that. I have no investment in her in the slightest. I'm just saying if we're going to be fair. And if we're going to recognize the role that we all play in pop culture towards like women, then we need to also own how we treat influencers. Like, yeah, hold her accountable. Don't like unnecessarily stalk and criticize her. Like that's fucked up. Okay, but actually let's let's tie that out into the thing that you and I criticize every single time we watch this, which is her breakdown when she finds out that her boyfriend. Jordan. Yeah. Jordan Van Dam. That guy who looks like the Team America puppet, but <laughs> styled by George Michael stylist. He really does have a George Michael energy to him, which I kind of like. Like straight George Michael. Yeah. But when he ends up cheating on her with, honestly, a woman with no character, but she Aniston? just looks cool. Aniston is, like, I want a movie about Aniston. I want a movie about the girl who is, like, into this super, like, whatever male influencer and then leaves him for a guy who plays in the Clippers. Like, that. Yeah. I want that story. I, I want her Hustlers spinoff, whatever. Yes, fantastic. But, yeah, after she has this freak out and then she goes viral in the wrong way mm-hmm. as Bubble Girl. Mm-hmm. You and I both sat there and went, no, but that's not how social media works. People aren't that mean-spirited. They would defend her because he cheated on her. But now we're sitting here going, no, but people do scrutinize Addison Ray for every little thing. So maybe they would be mean to her. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Because I think in the grand scheme of like you know justice being justice, here's what I think would happen. So earlier this week, a video went viral of a guy who, a 22-year-old, who quit his $100,000 a year Uh. job (laughs) and broke in backstage to something Logan Paul was doing to approach him about, like, can I get a job? Mm -hmm. And Can you dance? He he couldn't dance. He said he didn't have any friends. He doesn't have any skills. He just wants, like, Logan Paul to mentor him. I I I just need a chance, dude. Yeah. And Logan Paul was like, why would I hire you? Like, you just, you snuck in back here. You're recording it. So it feels like it's one of those sneak attack videos. And you're telling me to my face that you don't have any skills. 
why would I hire you? And then this guy went on TikTok and started crying. And what ended up happening is the entire internet went, fuck all of you for making me stick up for Logan Paul and Mm -hmm. defend him. Because again, Logan Paul is another one who has a long and sordid history of fucking up as an influencer. And yet he's totally in the right to Mm -hmm. be like, nah, dude, I'm not giving you a job. Like you're not entitled to me giving you a job. And he's like, well, you make $3 million and I only make a hundred thousand. He's like, yeah. And I work my ass off for this, which to be fair, he, does like i mean it's all branding yourself well yeah it's all branding yourself if nothing else you had to get shit off the ground and then once the ball's rolling it's easier yes and like i don't have to like him and i also can accept him i can also accept and analyze like there's a lot of things working in his favor like being a blonde blue-eyed white man like i under fairly nice ohio suburb correct like i can understand like of course he had all these legs up but even having that The whole internet was like, yeah, no, we're on his side. He's right in this situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's what would happen in like in this in this world. If if a Paget Sawyer found out that her high profile influencer boyfriend was cheating on her and it was done live. live. Yeah, Yeah. I think that people would have been like, fuck that guy. He's the worst. And then people who even her harshest critics would be like, I'm reluctantly defending her. Because she doesn't deserve that. See, that's what I want to think, too, because the mean-spirited of the internet that this seems to be trying to capture because, you know, some some of the people who were involved in this are a little older. Mm-hmm. I feel like that mean-spiritedness doesn't necessarily exist in our current version of the internet, at least not to this specific kind. Well, this that mean-spiritedness obviously does still exist on the yes, internet, but, but not for this audience base. Yes, exactly. It's not, it, it's not specifically tailored for this thing. Yes. And here's the thing, though, is even being as much of a, as a piece of shit he is, JVD would still be just as successful because douchey men don't stop having careers. Correct. Like, look he at would... the Paul brothers. Look at fucking every horrible person. Like, look, look, at, look at what Kanye's been up to, just defending every piece of shit guy lately, you know? I agree with you completely. Like, I don't think that his following would have been impacted at all no i think he would still be successful but hers would not have suffered it wouldn't she wouldn't have taken a 200 and some thousand follower loss no that would not have happened if anything she would have gotten like a bunch of random people who would have been like hey i want to track this progress and see how she recovers from this yeah i think that's what would have happened yeah but uh, again, like that cruelty of the internet does exist. Obviously, like we're it just we, wouldn't have in this instance. In this instance, it would not have, and especially with her audience base of being like very young girls who likely are using TikTok and are likely using these apps that really don't tolerate that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. I think she would have been fine. Which to me is a very interesting disconnect because, you know, I'm 31. I'm I'm older than the, the characters in this world, but not by a lot. Mm-hmm. But in that gap, there is an entirely different way in which the internet is used. My social media place of choice is Twitter, which is one of the meanest places on the internet where people say some of the most horrifying things to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that like TikTok is also like this fantasy land of goodness. There's plenty of terrible, awful shit there too. Mm-hmm. But depending on which side of TikTok you end up on, because the algorithm does favor the things that you like. Like Addison Ray does not come up on my algorithm at all because I'm not interested in that kind of content. Mm-hmm. But if she were to get shit on for something that she did not deserve, all of like gay TikTok and feminist TikTok and social justice TikTok, they would come to her defense mm-hmm. and they would be like, hey, we're going we're gonna to call her in. And that's what would have happened. So... I think because, you know, the people that are working on this, the, the the person who wrote this did write She's All That. So obviously, like, there's a big generation gap. Mm-hmm. I think there is a fundamental, like, disconnect in how the internet works and how dramatically different it is, even by, like, a five to ten year age gap window. Well, well things move really, really fast. It's the internet. Yeah. In fact, things move so fast that, like, three weeks later when everyone's like, whatever, bubble girl, it's everyone would be going like, dude... Like that that's a that's like a dead meme. Like yeah. what are you doing saying bubble girl? Like how uncool are you, bro? Yeah, she already had another moment go viral after that. Like there was the fight she at had that. More party. than one thing go yeah, viral. Like, like that's done. Bubble girl's over. She's she's done there. Um, yeah, like her karaoke thing went viral and so did like the beat down at the Roaring Twenties party, which of course the fucking Roaring Twenties party. Drop it like a Scott is a really funny name for a Roaring Twenty party though. Yeah, I guess. Drop it like F Scott's 
fine. It made me laugh. I think it's I, funny. It's it's a little too smart of a joke, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Especially because I feel like these people probably were maybe forced to read the book, but more so were like, okay, but that movie with Leo. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what's happening here. I mean, Baz Luhrmann makes really pretty movies. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't see The Great Gatsby because I really, really, really hate that book. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's, it's Baz Luhrmann. He makes gorgeous shit. Yeah, it's beautiful. So it's probably very appealing to the serotonin of a bunch of 14-year-olds. They're not that young. When they would have seen it. Okay. Or Yeah, they would have read that probably. Like, or more likely when the teacher was like, hey, we read the book. Now we're going to watch the movie. That's a great point. <laughs> Yeah, they would have been younger for that. Good, good, good point. Um, but in terms of like Paget as a character and bringing up kind of the the drop it like F Scott party, it does bring up this aspect of the movie that I wish was focused on a little bit more. And it's the idea that Paget is an influencer, but she's not rich. Mm-hmm. I mean, she lives in kind of like a back house behind this like really big like luxurious loft housing so every day she has her friends pick her up in front of this like loft housing but mm-hmm. the reality is that her mom is a nurse and an artist and, and it's Rachel Lee Cook and it's Rachel Lee Cook who is so beautiful and brings me just so much joy and every time she smiles like my skin clears I love her so much and even if she's the right age I'm still not convinced that Rachel Lee Cook has produced a, a child that is this old she probably has in real life. I just don't believe it, though. <laughs> yeah, she looks... Oh, my God. She looks so incredible. Right. And at the end, she has the best dress at prom and just shows up everybody. She really does. In her defense, she did not have to do choreo in her dress, which probably helped. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. But yeah, she looks just beautiful. But I wish that there was a little bit more of an examination of what it's like to be Paget Sawyer, an influencer who has kind of built this entire brand on being glamorous, who's poor. Pretty in pink, this is not. Correct. Um, I think that would have been really interesting, and I, I wish that there would have been more time on it, because really it's like, it's a thing that we all know, and then there's like a reveal with her friends where one of them is super mean to her about it, mm-hmm. Alden, um, is really, really mean, and is like, yeah, we know you're poor, and is really shitty about it. And then Quinn is like, yeah, we know, but we didn't want to say anything, because we didn't want to like hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. And then Paget is like, I didn't want to tell you because I thought you wouldn't like me anymore. Well, she needs to be an influencer because her mom barely makes enough money to send her to that school system. Like that's the whole reason right. that they need to do this. Right. And that's also a big part of it too, is that she's an influencer. And I think a lot of times people look at influencers as, you know, nothing but just spoiled brats. And that's not always the case. I think a lot of the very big ones are. Well, yeah, of like course. The, the richest ones are. Like people who live in like influencer houses, like, yeah, obviously they are. Well, in the case of a lot of them, they're people who got big when they were teenagers and then it totally warped their worldview. It's like mm-hmm. it's like thinking about how people always, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to do it all the time when we were coming up of like, oh man, child stars who went off the rails. And it would always be like Macaulay Culkin would be the, the archetype of that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I'm super happy Macaulay Culkin's life's gotten back together over the last like decade. Well, to but, that point though, these are also people who got famous when they were kids, which yeah. means that they're under the control of their parents. And a lot of times their parents steal their fucking money. Yeah. And so, then they go off the rails because they don't know how to process things. Yes. But now this is like the modern equivalent of something like that is you have people who gain massive following and attention and wealth at very young ages. And there's like, there's really no way to help people with that. Like there are now psychologists and financiers that exist solely to help like young athletes and Mm -hmm. young influencers learn how to manage their money because there is a stark drop when that goes away and with how fickle the internet is that can be at any moment Mm -hmm. and and that i think is something that i would have really liked to see explored here i think it would have been really really interesting because that's not what this movie is. that's not what this movie is this movie doesn't want something that deep they want Cameron riding in on a fucking horse at the end of this movie like it's a fairy tale. That's what this movie yes. is. Okay. This movie is not this movie is not for teenagers. Everything about this feels like it's made for 12-year-olds, yeah. not the actual teens who are the appropriate age to be in high school. Well, and to that point, that is another really important thing about like influencer culture that I don't think 
Hollywood has fully understood yet is that a lot of the audience bases of these big influencers are very young. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of them like to think that it's like, oh, 17 to 25. It's not. It is way, way younger than that, Mm -hmm. which is why when um, this is going to get me on a talking point that I have been just waiting for the opportunity to talk about on the show. There was a reality show a couple years ago called The Chair, not to be confused with the current show with Sandra Oh. But it was a reality show where two filmmakers were given the same script and they were told to make a movie. And then people would vote on which everyone was the best. They Mm -hmm. were also given resources and producers and a budget. So they were basically being set up for success and it was just all about like who's the more creative one. There were two contestants. A woman filmmaker named A.M. Lucas and Shane fucking Dawson. Fuck Shane Dawson. I'm not about to go on my rant about why Shane Dawson fucking sucks, because, again, there are people who have dedicated hours upon hours of YouTube essays to that. We got other shit to get into. We have more important things to talk about than Shane Dawson. Yes. But he was clearly cast because they were like, well, he has a huge following. He'll bring in a massive audience base. It'll be a great thing for the show. The show will be a rousing success. That did not happen. Because the people who watch him are so young that they did not have access to buy like a a cable channel that costs money. I think it was on Stars or something like Stars or Showtime, one of those two. They didn't have the money to have that cable channel. So they did not watch the show. They did not come out to watch the show. The reason he's so popular on YouTube is because YouTube is free. Mm -hmm. So he has this huge audience base based on that. It did not translate to the show. What it did do, however, is that because you could just vote for the winner, even if you had never seen a single episode of the show, he made a video on his YouTube like, hey, I'm in this contest, go vote for me. And it broke the voting because he has this humongous fan base. So then A.M. Lucas, who's a legitimately talented up and coming filmmaker, this could have been an amazing moment for her to like jump off and like develop a career. It didn't happen because they were like, oh, well, we'll just bring over this big YouTube guy for for hits and it'll be great. And it broke the voting and he made the cringiest movie. Half the movie is him like wearing different wigs, like clearly did not take it seriously, made a movie that is so inspired by his YouTube shtick. And it was a huge disaster. Mm-hmm. And Every once in a while, they we, like they keep doing that where they'll grab people that are really popular on social media or in YouTube, and with few exceptions, it does not translate to the other medium. No, they've tried to do that with YouTube so many times. Mm-hmm. Like, remember when YouTube was trying to branch out and get these people who became like well-known brand ambassadors, where it's like, oh, let's try and put Hannah Hart out there, and you know, no disrespect to Hannah Hart, but like, why would you give her a cooking show? Right, and uh, there's like so many things that. I think they see these numbers of like, oh my gosh, this person has this many followers. They're so huge. We need to like focus on them. We need this. We need this. It doesn't translate. That doesn't translate into dollars the way that they think it does. Especially when it comes to something like YouTube, because I honestly spend a good amount of time on YouTube because I don't know. I started watching YouTube when I was like 19, 20 years old and did not have money for streaming services and then kind of never stopped. But there's like, I, I like to learn a lot of stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't read fictional books. I read factual books, autobiographical books. I like to learn about topics. YouTube is great for that. Yeah, a lot of video essays. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly, it's my total shit and I love it. So the issue that I think you have is that people who are conditioned to see this person that they like, they can just watch it for free whenever they want very easily rather than episodic television that is sort of like what they're familiar with, with the mm-hmm. person they like, but it's not that... Um, like, think about when they tried to recast All Gas, No Breaks. Yeah, yeah. And how they were just like, hey, you guys built this show that is really uh, really successful. Everyone loves it. It's really great. Um, anyway, you guys suck. Bye. Uh, we're just going to put new people in your roles. Thanks for building this brand. And then everyone fucking bailed. Yeah, because they're like, that's not what we, we like the people. We don't like this. Yeah. Th- this is going to be a thing that just keeps happening time after time after time because – People don't understand how fast the internet works and Mm -hmm. all these execs don't understand how social media or these kind of self-built brands work. Mm -hmm. Like they, they, they end up fucking with things because they think that they can commodify it and the DIY nature of it is what's most appealing about it. Like people know that like an influencer is not perfect and wakes up with makeup on like you see in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like they know that that's, that can't be the case. But there's still authenticity to an extent that you have to have. Agree. You don't like 
corporate inauthenticity. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, kind of circling it all together, this movie feels like it's geared towards such a younger audience because that that audience is who is a huge fan of hers. Like, her audience is a lot younger than people recognize Mm -hmm. because they're aspiring to be like her. Mm -hmm. They want to grow up and be like her. Mm -hmm. So that's why this movie skews so much younger. And, like, that doesn't bother me. I'm okay with it skewing younger. I think that it works. I think you had made a comment when we were watching it where if you were a teenager, this movie kind of feels like it's talking down to you. Yeah, which the first one didn't. Yeah, where the first one doesn't. The first one is a teen movie for it, teens. It's a bona fide teen movie. This is a teen movie for, I would say, like preteen to junior high kids. Yeah, this, is more, like a, this is more like a Disney movie that has teens in it, but isn't for teens. Yeah, I mean, the Disney Channel did a movie like this. It's called Geek Charming. Did they? Yes. Also, that's a terrible name. I know. Oh, and God. That's, it's... It is He's All That. That's what it is. It, they were trying to make She's All That, but they flipped the genders of the, the characters. But mm-hmm. it's it's the same premise. So, like, this okay. isn't anything new, which is, again, why I am like, yeah, this is not, like, it well, is a it, sequel it, in... It's Shakespearean. It's a tale as yeah, old as time. It, it is a remake in, in name only. Like, they they don't have that same energy because they're, they're not trying to accomplish the same things. And that's okay. Yeah. They don't have to be going for the same things. Um, and because this skews a little bit younger, there are aspects of it that I think audiences that this is geared towards are going to be a lot less critical of than, mm-hmm. say, adults, one of which is that wealth disparity we were talking about. Ugh. It's, it's a lot, and it's something that I am not sure I'll ever be used to, particularly in Los Angeles. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day because we were driving home from a friend's house in Hollywood, and depending on which block you're in, it goes from like McMansions to just abject poverty. Oh yeah, Vine Street is nothing like the studios three blocks away. Right. It's 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 pretty jarring at times, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how this movie does struggle a bit with how they want to address that because we have Cameron who we haven't really talked about him a lot which I, I, I we don't really need to I don't like there's plenty to say about Cameron but also he's the project he fills that yeah. void he's there to be a hunky boy mm-hmm. and he falls in love with her for some reason well I think the implication is that she reminds him of his mom that's kind of what we get from his little sister, which I do think that that's actually kind of endearing. Uh-huh. Um, it's just not, again, it's not explored a whole lot. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that aren't super well explored. But we have, thing. you know, we have Cameron and, and his sister, Bryn, and they talk about, like, they live in, like, a small house with their grandma. Their dad just sends them, like, a massive thing of gifts once a year to kind of make up for all their holidays. They've lost their mother. And Cameron is, like, super critical of a lot of influencer things and the you know capitalism and commodification and blah 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 like he's that guy he's that artsy soft boy who takes pictures of uh a of fl- literal garbage of literal garbage because it's a it's a purely good orange that was just thrown away and it's wasteful and like oh isn't that a metaphor i'm a person who has literal garbage tattooed on me yeah and i think that that shit's pretentious well because then at the same time like his big thing is that he works with horses and like does equestrian stuff and like helps with horses. He might as well also take up skiing in terms of like I have money hobbies. Right. Like, I have my own dark room for my photography that no one sees and they're clear for therefore doesn't make money. Right. So it's just like it's so hypocritical. I'm like, dude, you're being so judgmental of these people because they are putting the wealth that they have on display. You have a fucking horse mm-hmm. and a dark room. Like you have money. And there's also like Fuck him for wearing a Gigi Allen shirt while singing. The cleanest print Gigi Allen shirt I've ever (sighs) seen in my life. Right. While also singing Teenage Dream because he was in Glee Club, I guess. And he fell in love with her because of Katy Perry. And also her arm disappears during that scene. It, Yeah. Okay. That's. And the thing is, Jordan Cruciola posted the picture. I The first time I watched this, I watched it with Jordan in the room. And we all screamed bloody murder when her hand disappeared because we thought we had hallucinated it. Mm-hmm. And then we were around it and we were like, oh no, it really did just disappear into a blue screen. Like it, there was an editing mistake there and it is very visible. Mm-hmm. But in a weird way, not unlike the cockroaches with children's faces in cats, the mistakes that exist in this movie 
almost make it more endearing. Like, I don't know. I mean, it makes it funnier. I don't know if, like, <laughs> Bryn, there was something with her microphone that was wrong, but every every reverse shot of her when she's having a conversation, her lines do not match her mouth, or in some instances, she's not moving her mouth at all. Like, the ADR work <laughs> in this movie is so slapdash. And like at the same time, I'm like, it doesn't bother me. Like, and, and I and I know that people are going to find these things as like very harsh criticisms. Like that's just fundamental. Like that's movie making 101. That's bad. I'm a person who went to Rocky Horror screenings every single month for years of my life. Mm-hmm. Like there is something still to be enjoyed about movies that are imperfect. And in a weird way, it is like this weird meta like artistry going on. Because this is a movie about people whose entire lives are curated to look as perfect as possible. And this movie has so many glaring, obvious mistakes. And it like it adds an extra layer to it that I know was not intentional. Mm. So this goes back to your point about like unintentional camp. This movie becomes camp because of the things that are wrong about it that are clearly unintentional. Yeah. And it makes me appreciate this movie so much more. As, as a person, again, who does really appreciate trash. Like, I look at my my banana peels and empty soda cans next to my possum on me on my arm right now. Where does it lie if it's accidentally trash? It's, it falls into unintentional camp. I know, but like all of the meta humor of this and all of the meta commentary about this, it's so weird. It's like when you think about all these horror movies from the 80s that we love. And they go, oh, no, we were trying to be silly when we made this. I'm like, you weren't. No, you weren't. No, you, you had weren't. low budget and you made a goofy, campy movie and it happens to be funny. And you're like, oh, that was the plan all along. It wasn't. But that's like how Tommy Wiseau is with The Room, where he pitched this as like a big dramatic movie. And then it became like this cult camp comedy classic. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, yeah, that was my intention all along. It wasn't. No. But by him saying out loud that was my intention and trying to lean into it makes it like even funnier to me. Uh-huh. Because you're like, oh, you really all you wanted was for this to be like big and impactful and be saying something. And you're willing to retcon everything about your motivation to make that happen. That's hilarious to me. Like, it makes it so much more enjoyable. And this movie's also got a lot of side characters that actually do things in this movie, which I quite like because one of my big criticisms of She's All That is that, like, Gabrielle Union is barely there and she kind of exists to just be a black friend. Mm -hmm. And, like, that bothers me a lot. Whereas in this movie, at least Paget's friends, like Alden and Quinn, they have their own arcs. Like, obviously, Alden is the... She's the mean girl. Yeah, she's the mean girl. And, like, she's not Taylor Vaughn mean girl. She's she's Paul Walker asshole. And She's a grounded mean girl. She's not absurd and over the top. Yeah, she's, like, because Taylor Vaughn is a camp villain. Like, she's a comic book character, and I love her. But like Alden is the Paul Walker. She is the friend of the of the lead who turns out to be a scumbag. And mm-hmm. I like that for her. I think that's a good arc for her. And then we have Quinn who is revealed to be queer. And like it's so just a matter of fact. And she's a high femme queer. I'm here for high femme queers. Mm-hmm. Then there's Nisha who is Cameron's best friend. And she's also a queer girl. And she's a queer girl of color. And she's an artist and wants to do all these interesting things. But at the same time is protective of her friend while knowing, like, hey, he's got some baggage, he's got some pain there, mm-hmm. and I don't want to see that exploited. I want to protect him, but at the same time, fully recognizing he does not have the best coping mechanisms and needs a little bit of push because he's being so resistant. Because he hates everything. Right. He's he's really misanthropic, as his sister says. And, like, that's fine. That's That's some, like, shitty punk teen angst. But mm-hmm. are you allowed to have shitty punk teen angst if you're planning your world trip with your friends after right. you graduate? It's like, I'm not going to go to college. I don't believe in it. I think it's a scam. Anyway, I want to go to Brazil. Yeah, there's there's such a weird relationship that this movie has with wealth, which is why I wish they would have done a little bit more exploration into like Paget's life as an actual like. You can't even say, like, she's a poor person. Like, she has a house. Mm-hmm. But, like, the fact that she doesn't live in this, like, lavish luxury the way that her she's friends do. poor-ish. Because, like, that's the thing. She's we... working class. Los yeah. Angeles working class. Yeah. See, that that's that's more correct. 
Um, Because that's the thing that I am really, really struggling with as I, like, am interacting with a lot more people now um, since the world's opening back up, even though it might maybe shouldn't. But it is, and I am. You're working. He got to. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I go through different neighborhoods in the city, and it's fine. But being from Cleveland, the ceiling of wealth was not as high as it is here. And also, the poverty wasn't as low as it is here. Mm -hmm. It is unbelievable like the homelessness problem that exists in the city as Mm -hmm. well as having like many billionaires and even more millionaires that exist here Mm -hmm. and they're all just kind of intermingle and that's fine apparently that's normal and they will be a block away i don't know how to fucking process this yeah it's it is ridiculous it's very hard and very frustrating like very frustrating um and you know these are these are all things that I think would have benefited if this movie was trying to be something deeper than it is. But it's not. But it's not, and Mm-mm. that's the thing. And like, I, I we can't be mad at this movie for being something that it is just fundamentally not. Mm-hmm. Like this is not a serious movie talking about. Like Pretty in Pink is a movie that is about different classes of wealth having to interact with each other that's Mm -hmm. the core of that movie that's not the core here this is about kind of shallow people having kind of shallow lives in love yeah there you go that's what it's about that's that's what this movie's about and like because that's what this movie's about like i'm not gonna hold it to this higher moral standard because it was not trying to achieve that this movie set out and achieved everything that it wanted to it's got its product placements that are very unnecessary we all have perfectly open bags of doritos in this movie Mm -hmm. cool we've got our like edgy band placements on cameron's outfit so that we know he's like edgy and like he listens to music other people don't he's a hipster like i love that he wears a stooges shirt for the weirdness the album nobody talks about by them (laughs) Right, like the movie knew what it wanted, knew what it set out to do, and then it did it. And then we're also given at the same time, because they're like, we know who's going to watch this in addition to the 14-year-olds that love Addison Rae, because like people were talking about like, hey, stop hate watching this. It was the number one movie on Netflix. I don't think most people did hate watch this. I think the people who watch this movie are people who genuinely wanted to watch it. I mean, I went into hate watch it because you were like, okay, but for real, this is like... This is a lot, and I was like, "Okay, cool. I'll sign up for for some hot garbage." And you're you've you've turned around so hard on it, I and I haven't turned around quite as hard on this. Maybe th- maybe three is the magic. Maybe number. three is the magic number because <laughs> I am not as in love with this movie as you are, but I definitely had way more fun I'm the second time than movie. the first one. That's the thing. I'm not in love with this movie. I'm in like with this movie. I am in like with this movie. I like like you. <laughs> I like what this movie is doing, and I like that like. I'm starting to get that thing in my in my heart where the same way that I got like aggressively defensive when people immediately started attacking the craft legacy based on trailer alone and I had to scream into the void like it's not for you. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I feel about this movie where it's like th- that's not for you. Do you know what is for us in this movie? Matthew Lillard at the end that is just a gift of the cameo gods. He is so funny. Why is his writing so much better than the rest of the movie? I like the moment I don't know if he they gave him lines. I don't know either. (laughs) They're just this so funny. Like so much funnier than anything else in this movie. When he's talking to the kid that's a DJ and he's like where's your equipment? Where's your where's your turntables? Where's your levelers? And he's like it's just a phone. We gave you $4,500 for a phone? Yeah. You know that's more than I make in a month? I know that now. Like, yeah. that whole scene. And also, he just destroyed. shits all over every student. Oh, like, he's so funny because, like, <sighs> because he's the adult in the room. Mm-hmm. So, like, Jordan Van, Jordan Van Dan doesn't have his shirt on for 90% of the movie, and no one acknowledges it other than Cameron to be like, hey, put a fucking shirt on. And then it's like, ugh, he's a buzzkill. Whereas mm-hmm. Matthew Lillard's like, nope, keep your jacket on. We've all seen enough of your nipple, son. Like, yeah. He's the adult in the room. Like, it makes complete sense to me that he's the one saying these things. Yeah. Like, because the teenagers, like, they're so desensitized to it. Because they're like, he's an influencer. We see him on TikTok doing his dances, doing his rap song. He doesn't have a shirt on then. It makes perfect sense for him to not have a shirt on at fucking school. Yeah. And I do love that they gave us that. Because I feel like everyone can appreciate Matthew Lillard in this movie. He's the gift that keeps on giving. He's, He's one of the best things ever. He's the best part of this movie. Sorry, Rachel Lee Cook, they did not give you as much to work with as I would have liked, but that's she not your fault. She has some cute stuff. Like, her yes. talking about cereal is really adorable. But yes. yeah, Matthew Lillard steals it in the cameo department. Yes. But I'm thinking about how a few months ago I was on a podcast called To Die For, 
and they they go over costume design in horror films and we were going over like queer costume design in horror films and I was on there with I think like a 16-year-old queer person who I think is from Australia. I don't remember exactly, but they were saying how The Craft Legacy is like their favorite movie. And I don't, you know what, I can't defend that because I, I don't know how anyone could see it as their favorite movie. I see people always post like top four letterbox things. And I'm like, but why is The Last Samurai one of your favorite movies? I have so <laughs> many questions. But that's the right demographic. That's That was the right audience to find that movie and mm-hmm. fall in love with it. And mm-hmm. so it makes sense in the same way that like young people love Black Christmas 2019 or any of these other movies where it, it's finding the correct audience. Mm-hmm. This audience just happens to be younger and they're going to appreciate in the same way that like you have horrible tie-ins like space jam one mm-hmm. like hey here let's take this person who's not an actor and put them in this movie where they can just flounder like mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing of brand recognition mm-hmm. that's exactly what this is like he's all that is the space jam of teen girl movies like that's what's happening here yeah or, or more aptly it's probably like cool as ice Okay, yeah. It Where it's like, it's, cool it's, it's something that's a little more flash in the pan than Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very, very true. But it's it's difficult for me because I was going through just to, to find, you know, reviews from users. So I looked at Letterboxd, obviously. But again, the people who use Letterboxd, they skew older than this target audience. They're not, Honestly, <laughs> they're not young teens. Yeah, I don't know how people use Letterboxd in general. That just seems exhausting. I can't do it because I have a completionist thing and I will want to have something said for every single movie I've ever seen and that's uh-huh. too many. So I've avoided the app for that reason. Gotcha. Um, but I was looking at, you know, Twitter and Instagram and just kind of gauging the the responses. And it seems like the people who like this movie are either quite young mm-hmm. or they are people who can understand that this movie, like, don't take it seriously. Like, it's junk food. Let it be junk food. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that are finding something fun with it. And that's, I think, very, very important. The people who are just being scathing and hate this, mm-hmm. they're people who are either taking this very, very seriously or they're older and they're upset that this isn't as good as She's All That. And I'm Back like, in my day. Right. But it's like, but they're not trying to do the same things. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's the, the old adage of like, don't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. In fact, right. I would say this is a little bit more prolific in saying like, let me help you be better as a monkey drags a fish up a tree. <laughs> yeah, for real. That's how, that's how reviewers are treating this film of like, I'll show you what's good. Right. Look at yes. this air. You're drowning. Look at this air out here. It's so much better. Right. And again, like if we were looking at this as like a fundamental like quality of film like award-winning authorship then yes obviously it's not as good as mark waters is directing as mean girls and freaky friday the cinematography is not as strong as it is in Candyman. the writing for this is not as strong as she's all that or i really like this writer's work with light as a feather on hulu that is all true but this movie is exactly what it was supposed to be and I'm not going to be critical of something for achieving the goal that it set out to achieve. And I think that that makes this movie worthy of talking about. Yeah, especially when I can be critical of this movie for shutting down Union Station. Okay, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, there was a, a big issue with that. Um, this movie did shut down Union Station in Los Angeles to shoot a scene. Um, and it shut down a COVID testing site. It's also a place where like a lot of people who are without houses um, end up kind of hanging out because they need somewhere to be. Mm-hmm. And they all got displaced when they were shooting that scene. Yeah, that's irresponsible. I can be critical uh-huh. of that, especially for a scene where we're getting like uh, this guy talking about how like, yeah, the the train station is real. Like, rich people romanticizing public transit. My God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, yeah, these are, th- again, there are things in this movie that you can be critical of and it's okay to be critical of it. You need to be critical of the right things things about this movie yes not just blanket statements of this is bad and i was like well i mean it's it's kind of bad but let's be specific with our bad correct and things can be bad and also enjoyable like things can be bad and also be fun yeah do i own cats on blu-ray absolutely right 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 perfect (laughs) well harmony the time has come he's all that is giving you a promposal with an awkward not very good or very bad candid photo of me. <laughs> yes. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? Oh, God. Um, 
My heart of hearts say it's a no, but I'm going to give it the absolute lowest maybe possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because okay. I'm not going to say that I hate watch this movie, but I will say that I will dunk on this movie for all of the right reasons as we watch it. Good. Yeah. And I think that that's fair. Like, Cameron, you value your mom's camera more than anything in the universe. Maybe don't put it down next to a pool and hand it to your sister or something when you're going to have a fight with a man with your hands behind your back. Just saying. Like, there's plenty of things to make fun of about this movie. Right. Edison Ray, I know you're trying to be vulnerable in taking off your makeup. Why is the the cotton pad you're using having no makeup on it when you wipe it away from your face? This This movie is just, it embodies... Like the baseball scene from Twilight where people are like, this is bad. And I was like, I promise this is not for you. Mm-hmm. People think it's hype. It's not for me either. I think it's the dumbest shit ever. But everyone's like, okay, but it's so cool. But it really dumb, but cool. Yes. This that's is okay. that. <laughs> that's okay. He, and I think that's a great way to describe it. He's all that is the Twilight vampire baseball scene of absurdity and where like it's going to be super polarizing. And you know what? I'm glad it exists. Yeah. <laughs> I, d- I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm glad or not. It does exist. <laughs> right, we don't me, have a choice. Me saying, hey, I hate it doesn't make it go away. Nope, it's and still there. And I don't there. hate it. So. And it's still eh. being watched. And it's still like Matthew Lillard was tweeting that uh, he he's all that and Good Girls were both like the number one and number two things on Netflix. And he's in both of them. And he's like, the people love me. What can mm-hmm. I say? And it's like, I yeah, you're right. Because you are great. Yeah. Too bad Good Girls is canceled. I'm very upset about it. It's like It's still a sore spot for me. Agreed. Also, just... Christina Hendricks is a mom in a teen movie. Make it happen. God, and let her be. Let bring Matthew Lillard back for that. I I just, want them to be parents in a teen girl movie, <laughs> so I can talk about how much I love them both. <laughs> I do have a Matthew Lillard crop top coming to me from Super Yaki that I'm thrilled about. <sighs> what a great day! All right, friends. I think that takes us out on he saw that. I hope you enjoyed this absolute nonsense rambling and all of the high energy of me just screaming. You definitely mellowed out as the room got hotter. That's very true. I'm baking right now. I am just a pool of human sweat. If you would like to help out the show, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people follow you? I am also on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. I also think it's really funny that I plug this every week and I post maybe once a month to Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) That's very, very true. And thank you as always to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Y'all are the bee's knees. Harmony, what cool indie band you want people to check out this week? The album that I want to plug this week is called Gender Trauma and Friendship by Slash Fiction. Oh, I love that. What a great, what a Great description. Yeah. Um, BJ, you would probably like this. It is a uh, very upset emo album, but it's about all of those three topics. It's a very on-the-nose title, <laughs> but I, I think it's a very complete album. I would say I don't listen to this one all the time because I uh, don't need to be more sad than I am, but it's really good if you like sad, expressive emo music about gender, trauma, and friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I like all of those things, so... Yeah. Sounds right up my alley. Yeah, maybe I'll make you listen to this when we drive around in the sunshine and look at the disparity of this city. Yeah, for real. (laughs) All right, friends. Thank you so, so much for listening. We love you. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. 
To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.